Vacation Bible School. I'm telling you, next week, our entire church should be so rested from Vacation Bible School. It's vacation, right? Like, who doesn't, who's not rested after vacation? I, I obviously, um, I have my part in Vacation Bible School. Hey, I'm Tim. I'm the location pastor. Nice to meet you. I'd uh, love to meet you afterwards. I haven't met you before. My part in Vacation Bible School is a ton of fun. I walk around, high-five kids, say hello to families. Uh, for some reason, they don't, like, let me do more. And so, uh, for, I haven't figured out why, but, um, and so, like, I have a great time. And so, I, I give the staff our time, like, what, why are y'all tired? It's vacation. You just had a week of vacation. No excuses. I'm just kidding. So, if you need some rest, I'm just, all right. So, uh, vacation, but it's, it's kind of a... I don't know, what is that, an oxymoron or a paradox, maybe, somewhat in there? Uh, in fact, <laughs> have you noticed that we're kind of, um, we're surrounded by oxymorons, aren't we? Like, you, do you know what an oxymoron is? It's two words uh, that are slammed together that separately have a meaning, but together seem to conflict. Kind of like a paradox, but that has to do with ideas. And uh, an oxymoron, something like, uh, like virtual reality, Right? Does that make sense together? That's an oxymoron. Maybe something like an exact estimate. Have you ever called somebody and said, I need an exact estimate of what's this, what this is going to be? And then when it's over the exact estimate, you're upset about that. Like, what's the exact estimate of when we'll be done in church today? Probably by the 6 p.m. VBS meeting tonight, we'll be done with this morning service. I promise. That's an exact estimate. Sometime around the or when we get hungry. An unbiased opinion. Have you ever heard that? I'm just giving you my unbiased opinion. Unbiased opinion. Oxymoron. Or maybe something in the military like a chief's mess. You know? That's a double entendre. If you know what that is, maybe. Double entendre. You're welcome, military guys. You get the point. We, we, we live in a world of, of oxymorons. But they make sense, doesn't it? Let me give you one more, and this is what we're going to look at today. Um, living sacrifice. Here's another one. Um, crucified glory. It, do, do you hear how just crazy that sounds? That on one hand, we celebrate the conduct of a Christian life is absolutely bound by the idea of crucified glory. In fact, if there's one point we're going to make this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, it's this truth that the conduct of a Christian is crucified glory. This beautiful, oxymoronical, paradox statement that on one hand we're talking about the beautiful truth in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. That God has called us to do something with this crucified life. This idea of this blood-emblazoned torture device that took the life of our Savior. And that in this crucified life, there's this beautiful glory. A word that means weight or value or beauty or honor. And that we as followers of Christ are now living inside of this paradox of crucified glory, of the way of the cross, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ based on his death that God foretold from the beginning of time 
to redeem us from the effects of sin in this world that now defines every single piece of our life in the past, in the present, and in the future. That the conduct of a Christian is called to be one of crucified glory. In fact, between last week's passage and this week's passage, last week we were in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, that we, we are being built upon the stone of Christ, who is the chief cornerstone that was rejected by men, but is chosen and precious in the sight of God, that you're being built up as a, uh, as a spiritual house to make offerings that are, sacrifices that are, pleasing to God, for you are a holy generation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you who were in the dark are now living in, called into God's marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of, of him who's called us, like according to his purpose. I'm combining the bunch of truths of scripture there, like between last week's passage and this week's passage, Peter is explaining this beautiful paradox of crucified glory that at the end of, in verse 11 through, uh, through 12, that there's a battle going against sin because you now live in a crucified, glorious state that now as a follower of Christ in the following verses, you, you submit to human institutions because you know what it is to submit to someone and you do that in a way that honors Jesus and you, man, you're a good servant or slave or under rower or whatever your position is because you, you live in a state and your conduct is one of crucified glory. The cross defines your life. In your marriage, man, like as someone who is married, even to someone who does not know Jesus, you, you live in a state of crucified glory, this beautiful Reality. In fact, even leading up to this passage, look at how Peter in chapter uh, in chapter three, verse ten, begins to quote this psalm about this new state that whoever verse ten desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from speaking evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord or on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Men, even this psalm that Peter introduces the section with, the writer David is saying, listen, you are no longer yours, but rather you now exist to put away evil in a world that's evil, where you have evil desires, and do good, and in doing good, verse 13 Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And now this beautiful principle of crucified glory gets insected. It it intersects our actual real life. Because if you're like me, you're looking at this idea of crucified glory. And you realize that living this way is not normal and is really, really hard. Like, really hard. Like it's hard to live a life defined by the death and resurrection of Christ now as a Christian when it comes to sin that I'm so easily ensnared by. It's hard to live as a Christian under a 
human institution that I just don't agree with. Y'all, I love rules and laws, unless they're dumb or don't make sense or stop me from doing what I want to do, then I don't like them, right? Like, it's hard to live in that and honor those institutions as God would have me honor them. Y'all, it's hard to live under any government system. It, It doesn't matter if you're a Republican democracy or if you are under a dictatorship or if you're under any other form that's out there Christians forever have had a hard time with that as well as everybody else. It is hard, and on top of that, to bring glory to God underneath a government that is not God himself. And even then in the Old Testament, God's people had a really hard time following God in a theistic monarchy. I mean, it's like really hard to be married. It's hard to be married to me. Being married to my wife is great, but being married to me, like it's It's hard. It's really, really hard to be a follower of Christ and allow this crucified glory, this beautiful reality to now upend everything that you used to be and define everything of who you are. And what Peter is saying is like, listen, if you live like this, oftentimes that leads to being okay. And now Peter's uh, listeners to this letter are going, okay, I'm with you so far. I'm living like this. But they're in the middle of the beginning of persecution and asking, then why is life so difficult? This reality that I'm living for God, but I still struggle with sin. I'm living as a Christian, but it's super hard to submit to human institutions that I think are dumb. I'm living as a Christian, but it's really hard to trust and submit to the government that's over me. I'm living as a Christian, but it's like really hard to be married. It's really hard in my life. It's really hard to battle temptation over and over and over and over. And so what Peter's going to do between this week and next week, between this week's passage and next week's passage, so y'all got to come back next week, between this week's passage and next week's passage, is begin to take this idea of the crucified life and now show you very practically what this means with those struggles. And the, words he's going to, the word he's going to use is suffering. Because it's suffering to go through those things, is it not? I mean, I know I'm not the only one who is suffering through these areas and so many more as the new defining reality of my life as Christ crucified living in me begins to come out and begins to conflict with so many other things in my life and there's such a level of suffering that goes with that. And so today we're going to learn that the conduct of a Christian man is this beautiful oxymoronical paradox of crucified glory. That in your life, if you are struggling and striving to live in a a life that honors God, you may be doing exactly what God is calling you to do. In fact, if you're a follower of Christ in here this morning, what this passage is going to do is help remind you that you are somewhat normal, completely 
normal, weirdly normal, another oxymoron. If you are in here and you are struggling with sin, you are normal according to the Bible. If you're not struggling with sin, you're not normal in the Bible. That if you're not a follower of Christ, you're going to hear what it is for someone to write to a group of Christians who has suffered deeply. Like like Peter in the book of Acts being like beat up and imprisoned and ends up being crucified upside down for the sake of his faith. Like Peter himself who has suffered over and over and over, who is telling a group of younger Christians as their leader, listen, here's what you need to know about how to act through suffering. So here's a question before we jump into the text. Where are you suffering? Where are you striving with this world? Where has your new reality as a follower of Christ come into conflict with some part of your life that wants to pull you into something that is not like how God has called you to be as a follower of Christ? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, or if your version of Christianity means that you'll never suffer again, which means you're probably not a follower of Christ, who who himself promised that we will suffer because he has suffered, who with Scripture, all who are called according to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer in 1 Timothy 5. That if your version of Christianity is one that does not include any type of suffering or you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know that you are going to find beauty in this oxymoronical statement, freedom in this oxymoronical statement, uh, uh, something hopefully that God would call you to give your life to in this beautiful statement that God is calling you to live a life of crucified Glory. Now next week we're going to see something more beautiful in that. But this week let's see how Peter challenges us in this text and what this means for us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 13. In fact he writes this. Or chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. He writes this. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? Well, this is a rhetorical question that says, like, if I do the right thing, who is there to harm me? And then the reality of the Christian life is like, man, this is like super hard because it seems like every turn I go into, there's some conflict with now who I am in Christ. And so he continues on in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be Blessed. Now, before we continue in the text this morning, it's important that we understand what Christian suffering is. A very easy lens or simple lens, because there are nuances, a very simple lens to put over a situation is to ask the question, is this because of the crucified life living out within me, or is this just because I'm human? For example... 
there's a difference between receiving a bad work evaluation because you haven't showed up for work on time in weeks and receiving a bad work evaluation because you are overqualified for a job and simply named as a Christian. Uh, Years ago, when I had a job where I was required to be at work at 6.45 in the morning, which isn't early for some of you, but that was for me when I was 19 years old and brand new to the whole idea of being anywhere at 6.45 in the morning. And so I would call as I was going in through the main gate to say, hey, I am on base at 6.47 in the morning. And that didn't seem to go too well with the guy that was in charge of me. So after this happened for a couple of times, uh, he decided to pull me to the side and have a little bit of a conversation. And he said, Tim, you were late every single morning. You're in trouble because you are late every single morning. And I said, well, you know, the, the traffic... And he said, the traffic that's there every single day? Well, yeah, I just have to leave early. Then leave earlier, right? And no matter the excuse I gave, he was not having anything to do with it. And I suffered because of that. That is not Christian suffering. That's just being dumb and bad at my job. You're not qualified. You don't get a promotion. That's not Christian suffering. Christian suffering, rather, I mean, you deserve, by the way, if you name the name of Christ, be good at your job. Like, for the sake of Jesus and all of his kingdom, man, you do that job as if you're doing it unto God himself. That's what scripture calls us to do. But if you're doing a bad job, you get a bad eval. That's not Christian suffering. What Peter is talking about here is going back to chapter 1, verse 1. Those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, those whom God has called, and because God has called them, he has changed them. And even though they haven't changed location, they are now different in the location that they're in. And they're now enduring suffering because they're called to be a Christian wherever they are. And what Peter says is if you suffer... For righteousness' sake, okay, so in verse 13, if you suffer, uh, who's going to make you suffer for what good is? He calls good righteousness in verse 14. So here's what Peter is saying. If you suffer because you are living to the standard that God has called you to as a Christian, I want you to know you are blessed. You have found favor with God. God looks at you and goes, I am happy with that kind of behavior, that there is a beautiful affirmation of those who have embraced the beautiful crucified glory that we live, that because Christ has been crucified and rose from the dead, that we now live in a way that sometimes others will say, I don't like that anymore. And if that is what God looks at and says, you're suffering because you're representing me, he goes, that's awesome. I'm happy with that. And then he gives two exhortations right after this verse. Because if you're like me and you're facing the reality of suffering, or you're new to this idea of living a life that embraces the truth of God's new formation of Christ in you, of crucifying, dying to self, 
laying out, taking up your cross and following him for whoever desires to gain his life will lose it, but whoever loses it for his sake will, will, will gain it. This whole beautiful reality of a crucified glory. If you're looking at that and then you're looking at your life, it's scary, y'all. Like it's, it's scary to sit around a table having others talk about the activities that you are all going to participate in on your next TAD and have to, on your next work travel trip, and have to be the one that says, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not doing that. Like, that's hard. It's hard when you go into your high school or when you go off to college or when you go back to the water cooler or when you go back to uh, that family gathering that's coming up. And man, you just know that you know that you know you're going to be challenged by who God has made you compared to what is going on in that situation. And as you begin to face that situation, let's just be real. There's a fear that comes with that. In fact, Peter goes on in verse 14, and he says, Have no fear, nor be troubled. Listen, it is a human reaction in the face of suffering to fear that. It's completely normal to need an encouragement that I'm facing this, and if I live this way, man, this, this has implications for my job. Like, this has implications for my family. This has implications for the reputation that I've built. This has implications for what life will look like for the next six months. Like, it's a fearful thing. And Peter writes, do not be fearful nor troubled. Here's where Peter begins. He says, listen, you're going to have to have courage to suffer because suffering takes courage. Now, there's a larger thing that God is doing in your suffering. You've got to come back next week because it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And it's going to be, next week's service is going to be lit. Today was lit. Next week's like lit lit. I don't know what's above that. But like, it's going to be, it's going to be good with VBS celebration, all that God is doing. But man, next week we're going to see the greater purpose. But for this week, you just got to know, if you are suffering and struggling and lacking courage. Peter knows exactly where you are because he's been there before. Do you remember um, the story, whether you're familiar with the crucifixion of Christ or not? There's a story of Peter and um, Jesus is arrested and taken away and all of his disciples abandon him, including Peter, who just a few hours before said, oh man, I will never leave you. Oh, I'm not going to leave you at all. And in the face of just simple questions of, do you know him? He denies him over and over and over. You see, Peter knows what it is to fear suffering. And he's looking as a grandfather Christian to baby Christians can do, or younger Christians can do, and says, listen, have no fear And don't even let it trouble you. Why can Peter say this? 
Like, this is not Tim Whitney talking. This is, this is God through Scripture saying, you as a follower of Christ, have no fear, nor be troubled. Because what Peter is going to do now in verse 16 is help us see this, in verse 15, is help us see this beautiful reality that what motivates us is the example of Christ who's being formed within us, who is our beautiful, crucified glory that we now have as followers of Christ that defines us. In fact, look at how he continues in verse 15. He says, here's how you have no fear. But, okay, so that's contrary to having fear and being troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Some of your translations say sanctify him. Set him apart as holy. That what motivates a follower of Christ to continue through suffering is this beautiful reality that Jesus Christ is set apart above all things. So when you're sitting in that ward room and the question comes up or in that boardroom or in your barracks or in your, around your water cooler or in your family and the question comes up or on them Facebook threads, don't even participate, whatever. But like when it comes up and you think like, There's this moment, should I say something or not? Should I just let it pass? If I say something, man, there's some fear with that. He says, listen, here's the motivation to get you through that. You set Jesus Christ apart as Lord. Now, what does that do? Well, it's setting Jesus Christ apart as Lord. In fact, look over just one. This isn't on the screen. You're going to have to just look in your Bible with me. Go over to chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, and Peter's picking up this reality of what he just said if you were reading the letter like three minutes before. In fact, look at chapter 2, verse 20, and Peter begins, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you good, do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Okay, so same reality, same truth that Peter's now expanding on. And then look at verse 21. For to this you have been called. That God has called you as a follower of Christ. Your motivation, setting Jesus Christ apart as Lord, is living out this reality that my commander of the army of the Lord has called me in times like this to take the road of suffering rather than the easy way out. But not only that, continuing on. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That in the process of setting Jesus Christ apart as Lord, your motivation because he is my crucified Savior and I'm living out his crucified glory, he's called me to this, And I'm leaving the very example of Christ and my suffering. Y'all got to come back next week. Living the example of Christ in my suffering. But that's not just all. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live 
to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter goes straight to the gospel and says, listen, when you set Jesus Christ apart as Lord in your life, and realize that this is what he's called you to, to suffer in these moments of conflict, you get to follow his example because that is what Jesus Christ did. That in that you are living out the gospel of a crucified beauty of death to self and alive to God in Christ. And what a beautiful opportunity it is in this suffering to proclaim to all around you, I know Jesus and I am his and he is mine and he has changed me. He bore my sins on a tree. So this is who I am and this is who God's called me to be. Bring it on. Listen. When you've embraced the reality of the crucified glory of God in your life. And you realize that God himself has conquered death. What in the world can the world do to you? Kill you? You know what it's like to be dead and be brought to life. Take your job? Oh, he who called is faithful. He is more faithful than your boss that will replace you in two weeks when you retire. Right? Put tension in your family. Listen, y'all, I've been around family long enough to know i got a big family. If it is not being a Christian, it's going to be something else anyways, right? I mean, in the process of this, man, God, you get to live because of God. You get to live out the gospel. That your motivation of Christ, of Christ crucified, is now our motivation against suffering. But look at the little caveat that he gives here on the end of verse 15. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. A beautiful constraint in living out the crucified glorious life is so essential to being a follower of Christ. Uh, if you have ever been close to somebody before, or you are married in the room, or you've ever known a married person, or you know cultural cliches, please help me finish this phrase. It's not what you said, but... Right? I've heard that once or, once or twice in my own home. You see, you can be right but wrong at the top of your lungs. And in this process of living out the crucified life, Peter is calling his people that the loudest thing about them ought to be the grace and love that is found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in those situations where I've failed so many times before, but sometimes I've succeeded, where all eyes go on you and you say, I can't do that. You can launch into a beautiful offense about how I cannot believe all of you who are sinners would even dare to bring up that recommendation. And I want to have nothing to do with any of you until tomorrow when we have to work back together. You can take that approach. But what Peter is saying is maybe take this approach as you live out the crucified life. God has reconciled me and restored me back to him. I'm all his. 
that I cannot go along with that because there's someone else that controls me higher than you. And so, guys, you know that I love you. You know I'd put my life on the line for you. But I can't go along with you in this. Because Jesus has changed my life. And he wants to change yours. You see, there is a way with gentleness and honoring to stand up for the gospel. And it takes courage, y'all. It takes courage. And when you fail, look at how Peter continues here in verse 16. That when you fail, our method, we go back to when we fail, continues to be this reality that Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection now defines us and still defines us. Look at how it continues in verse 16. He says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, okay, when you are slandered, he leaves no wiggle room here. Like, y'all are going to get slandered if you represent Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Christ, like, come on to the group. That's guaranteed to get slandered, right? That's part of the invitation of the gospel. So part, come on to the group. It's going to get slandered. Having a good conscience. So when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter lays over this and says, listen, the same gospel by which you are saved is now the one that's going to condemn their slander. So you represent Jesus well in that situation. So what do we do with this passage this morning? Well, a few things. I remember being young and 20 and discovering theology really for the first time. It's like I read one John Piper book and I was on fire to tell everybody else how wrong they are, you know? (laughs) We've all been through that. That's why we're laughing, or many have, right? Let me ask you a question. Is the suffering that you're enduring Christian suffering? To be honest, when I was young and dumb and 20, I just needed to shut up and learn a little bit more. That's what, I, that's what honestly, if I could go back to my 20-year-old self, I remember my buddy Levi, who's sitting on the back of, uh, of our, our little mission there and uh, waiting for, I don't know, whatever we were doing. And I just was letting him have it because uh, he was of a different faith than me. And I just read a book that I wanted to tell him about loudly. And uh, he finally just stopped me and said, I feel like you're beating me up right now, right? Man, if I could shake myself out of that, the suffering that I was enduring in that season of life wasn't because I was a Christian. It was because I was obnoxious, you know? Is the suffering you're enduring Christian? Second, do you see how Peter continued to rehearse, continues to rehearse the gospel through this passage? Man, you're suffering? Think about Jesus. You don't like your government? Act like Jesus. You're being oppressed at work? Think about Jesus. Look at your marriage? Think about Jesus. Over and over and over again. Maybe you need to take this response time as the band comes to play some music. Maybe you need to take this response time and just just rehearse the gospel. Like what, What does it look like in the thing I'm suffering with to live out the gospel in this? What does it look like to 
be Jesus Christ in this moment? What does it look like to give up myself for the sake that they may see an example of God's love through Jesus Christ? Y'all, is there fear associated with that? Man, there is. Because it might mean that you got to be the guy or the lady that stands up and says, no. Or in a way with gentleness, that's controlled strength and respect, I'm firmly standing that I cannot be a part of that. Or I'm firmly standing that I am going to love those people. Or I'm firmly standing that I will not call that okay. And we're going to have a conversation about that where I'm not going to be the enemy. I'm going to share with you the truth of God with grace and truth. What does it look like to rehearse the gospel in your suffering? Like how does the crucifixion preach into that suffering? Or maybe your suffering is not outward, it's inward. Listen, maybe you're single and you are so struggling with that. Like you're asking the question, is it me? Am I broken? I thought I'd be at a different stage right now. I'm at a different stage than I was. What in the world does this mean? You get to embrace as you apply this crucified glory. Oh, it is not easy. And man, it is fearful. But that God is has something to do that even though the, your situation may not be good, that your suffering surely can be. And that you can have courage to suffer and not feel bad because you want a spouse. Like that's okay. But in the middle of that, figuring out, God, how does the gospel define how I'm to be right now? Or in your marriage. God, how does the gospel define I want out or I want them to want out? <laughs> or they ain't being like I, they, they said they would be at this point. How does the gospel define that? Last but not least, what area of your life do you need to set apart Jesus Christ as Lord? Like maybe a very simple first step is just to see, okay, let's come to the conclusion, you and me, God, that you are Lord over my family. That you're Lord over my job. That even if I don't understand it, you are Lord over my suffering. And I'm going to set you apart as Lord, knowing that everything else, if nothing else happens today, I'm walking out of here going, Jesus is Lord of my loneliness. Jesus is Lord of my out-of-control child. Jesus is Lord over my marriage that isn't going like I want it to. Maybe you're working at VBS this week and you need to go, Jesus is Lord of five-year-old boys, you know, (laughs) suffering, y'all, telling you. But whatever it is, let's respond to the Lord right now. Asking if our suffering is Christian, that's a good question to ask. Preaching the gospel to ourselves to help us think about how we should think about our suffering. 
and coming to the place where we go, Jesus is Lord over the suffering. And if you can get there, y'all, we will be primed and ready for next week. So let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. If you'd like to talk to somebody, myself, Gary, and Daryl will all be up front. We're all pastors here. We'd love to just share with you or help you answer some questions. But that being said, let me pray. If the Lord is doing something in your heart and you want to talk, let's talk. But let's stand together and sing to the Lord and respond to him. Father, I thank you for your word and your truth this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to respond to you as you would have us. Give us grace as we lay our suffering before you. Lord, teach us how to live in light of the gospel through this passage. And help us, dear God, to walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him than when we came in. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.